0: Welcome to the Do Something Beautiful podcast. I am your host, Leah Darrow, and I share with you inspirational people who are truly doing something beautiful to make our world better. We are inspired by the words of St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, who said, Do something beautiful for God. Do it with your life. Do it every day. Do it in your own way. But do it well, my friends, in the hope of adding some true beauty to the world, I have a new book. It's called The Other Side of Beauty, and it is now out for purchase. No more pre-ordering. It's available for purchase now, and you can get it anywhere books are sold. And yes, that does include Amazon and my website, leahdare.com. In this book, I confront the world's limited view of beauty and its negative impact on us women with a lot of research and statistics there for you. And then I give the you know alternative, I give The Other Side of Beauty which is really about holiness and wholeness. And ultimately, it's the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So when when we desire this, when we desire the other side of beauty, when we desire Christ, we really can become and share true and lasting beauty. So I wrote this book. You can grab it, like I said, on anywhere good books are sold or Amazon, Leodero, all those things above, and you can join in and take part into the other side of beauty challenge there. Now, this podcast, the Do Something Beautiful podcast, is a now proudly sponsored by Haiti One Hundred and Eighty. Haiti One Hundred and Eighty is a nonprofit organization that impacts the whole community with the joy of Christ in Haiti by providing homes, education, healthcare, and a life changing experience through mission trips that Haiti One Hundred and Eighty offers. So, Haiti One Hundred and Eighty, you probably have heard me talk about them before. I have a couple podcasts available back in the archives that I interviewed Sean Forrest, who's the founder of Haiti One Hundred and Eighty. But Haiti 180 has built an orphanage that houses now 40 children. It has multiple elderly homes for those who have no one else to care for them. They have built a school that now provides education for over 200 children in Haiti. And they now have a medical clinic that they're in process of finishing up. That might sound familiar to you because many of you listeners of this podcast, you are so amazing. You you generously donated your money and we raised over $26,000 for the maternity wing of that medical clinic that is now breaking the grounds and being built as we speak. Praise be to God. Thank you. Thank you so much. So we're really excited here at the podcast here to have our first sponsor as Haiti 180, because I can't think of anybody better. It's just wonderful. I'm super happy about it. And of course, I vet everybody who, you know, wants to possibly offer to sponsor the podcast. And this is definitely one I stand behind 100%. I have been there myself. I have seen it with my own eyes. I have been there with Sean Forrest, the founder of Haiti 180. And I am amazed at everything God is doing in him and in the people of Haiti. It's just a fantastic organization. I fully back this completely. And if you're wanting to know how you can become more involved or ways that you can just add more beauty to your life, right? I mean, that's the whole point of this podcast. It could not be easier to answer the call to help the poor of Haiti than becoming a Team 180 member. And that's very, very simple. A Team 180 member is someone who chooses to give Monthly on a recurring basis to help Haiti 180, help the people of Haiti. So 100% of all the funds go to helping the poor and keep, and keeping this amazing organization up and running. Very easy to do. All you got to do is go to Haiti180.com, click donate. That's it. You set up your recurring payment. You can even do it through PayPal. Very easy. I myself am a team 180 member. So I give monthly to this organization and I encourage you to do the same. It's such a beautiful, an easy way to do something beautiful for God. Hello, friends. Today we are talking with Aurora Griffin. Aurora attended Harvard University. She graduated magna cum laude. She has a degree in classics in 2014 from Harvard. From there, she served or while she was there, she served as president of the Catholic Student Association. I mean, oh my gosh, This, I mean, right? Do I need to say anything more about her bio? But actually, I kind of do because wait till you hear this one. Aurora was awarded the Rhodes Scholarship to study at Oxford University, where she received a graduate degree in theology. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I know. She's amazing. She is just by her bio alone, right? She now lives in Washington, DC, and she works at Catholic University of America in the president's office Obviously, her bio looks very, I don't know, sometimes intellectually intimidating maybe because she's so young and she's done all these things. But what I really like about Aurora and really what brought me you know, the drive to have her on the podcast and to share her life with you and really kind of what she's doing to help the kingdom in a very specific way is her humility. She's just this sweet girl. She's a sweet girl who's just speaking truth. She wrote a book. It's How She Stayed Catholic at Harvard. And that book is really what caught my attention. I'm just here thinking, all right, let's take a look at this. This book is wonderful. It's practical. It's fantastic. We're going to talk a little bit about that book. We're going to talk a little bit about Aurora's tips on helping parents as well as college kids, how they do stay Catholic and keep their faith while in college. And maybe you know, maybe you don't know, but that's a huge issue. Almost 80% of college students who are raised Catholic lose their faith and stop practicing it before they begin their sophomore year the focus group fellowship of catholic university students has had some great research and they talk about that so this is a real issue it's not just like oh well it's tough right and i think if you're in college right now you're probably like nodding your head like yeah man it it's rough right it's rough for me to keep my faith when a lot of things are trying to get me to abandon it or tell me that it's silly or that it's naive or it's just plain ignorant so with that i just really i just knew that i really wanted to talk to aurora She's a darling girl. She's very sweet. She's obviously very, very smart, but she's got a heart of gold and she's got a lot of great things to share with us, great things to share about her life and kind of what her parents did to help instill faith and to kind of keep her going. There's a part of our conversation towards the end, and I really, really loved it. And she talks about a piece of advice her dad gave her and how he prepped her to deal with some pretty big moments later on in life that she'd have to choose should have to make a choice. And so I don't want to spill the beans yet. I'm just going to tell you that it was just really profound for me to listen to it because it it's helped me to be like I've got to make sure that I tell my kids this as well. And even if you're not a parent, like you got to make sure that you know this. Like what Aurora tells us at the at the end, close to the end of the podcast, and this kind of conversation ongoing throughout her life with her father and her is really important and we all need to be aware of this question that will be posed to us many times in life. And we need to be ready to respond. And you can't just figure it out, make a game day decision. You got to know the answer before the question's even asked. So I'm just going to leave that there. It was a joy to talk to her. She's, like I said, she's such a sweet, sweet young woman. And I'm so excited for what the Lord's going to do in her life in the future. And as you might have already figured out, I'm doing something new with my guest at the end. Before they give us the challenge, I'm asking them five things. And I've got to say, so far, Aurora wins. <laughs> she wins the five things contest. Not that it's a contest. I, I guess it is. Maybe I just made it so. But she, 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 she okay, I got to stop. Her answer, her answer to the last one is fantastic. And you'll listen to it. And then trust me, just keep listening because. It evolves into something that I had no idea what she was talking about in the beginning. And so it's so good. It's so good. I was really, and you're really going to be shocked, especially when you hear the interview, because, you know, she's just this darling little brain. She's just this smart kid who's got it, you know, mostly together. I mean, she's not perfect, of course, but like she has, she's very well read. She's able to speak well and she teaches well and she explains well. And then you hear her answer to number five of the five things and you're like, what am I listening to? It's so so wonderful. I just loved it. It really rounded out the entire interview. I'm so happy she was honest and really told us what she she thought. So I'll just
1: leave that there
0: before I start laughing more. Okay. Okay. I'm going to pull it together. I'm going to pull it together now. All right, friends, I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to let you listen to Miss Aurora Griffin. Welcome back to the podcast. And I'm so excited to welcome Miss Aurora Griffin. Aurora, how are you doing? Hi, I'm doing great. Happy to be on the show. Good to have you. So, so good to have you. Okay. So we are coming up. I'm just going to jump into this really, really quick. I'm so excited for you. You are a young author. You wrote How I Stayed Catholic at Harvard and we're coming up, or I guess we just passed your one year anniversary of this book. That's right. Excellent. Okay. So let me just step back a little bit. Okay. So for people who don't know, and I know I've already kind of mentioned it in the introduction of you, I mean, your bio (laughs) is fantastic. Your bio is a little intimidating, probably for some, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. But you have had an amazing experience at your young age that you are. You attended Harvard University. You graduated magna cum laude. Excellent. Way to go. You have a degree in... Now, what is your degree in at Harvard? Classics. Classics. Excellent. So you graduated in 2014, correct? That's right. All right. Not that long ago. Okay. And so the next piece is you were awarded the Rhodes Scholarship to study at Oxford University, and that's where you got your graduate degree in theology. So, okay. For those who don't know, what
1: is a Rhodes Scholarship? What is that? So that would be uh, two full years of funding for any degree at Oxford University. And I chose to use mine, as you mentioned, to get a, a master's degree in Thomistic theology.
0: Thomistic theology. Wow. Okay. All right. So when you're, would you can? So you're mostly a Thomas for the most part, right?
1: I think that's fair to say. Yes, I'm a pretty big Thomas Aquinas fan. <laughs> that's so awesome. That's awesome. Okay.
0: Now let me ask you this question. So I have my master's degree from the Augustine Institute, and so. Do you, for those who are Thomas, those who who kind of just are in the camp of Aquinas, do you find any type of frustrations or disagreements for those who are mostly in the Augustine camp
1: or? You know, well, Thomas Aquinas himself was uh, an Augustinian, so it's a, it'd be tough to have too many quarrels with them. I think our bigger battles are with people who, you know, don't ascribe to any faith. Right. That's a... That's going to be who Thomas would have spent his time writing to anyway. I completely
0: agree. I always like to talk about that because I love the fact that you got it exactly what I was hoping you were going to get at, is that sometimes us in the Catholic world or Christian world, we start battling between different thoughts or ways to approach a philosophical question or a piece of theology. And we're, I feel like sometimes most of us are in the background being like, I think there's bigger battles. Like, I, th- I, think, I think there's other stuff that we should be talking about rather than fighting within. Yes, I couldn't agree more, Leah. <laughs> it just makes me laugh. The human condition. Okay. So, Aurora, what struck me, I was noticing some people talking about your book on Twitter, actually, is how I kind of found out about you. And I saw this book, How I Stayed Catholic at Harvard, and I just thought, I've got to get that and I got to know what's in it. And so I went on, I did some research, and I was hoping that you could tell us the story of kind of like, how did this book begin? You're at Harvard when this inspiration for the book happened, correct?
1: So actually, I was in my first year of studies at Oxford. Uh, So this was in the spring 2015. And I'm glad you asked about it because it's kind of a funny story. I had never planned on writing a book when I was at Harvard. I wasn't sort of sitting in a corner of the yard with a a moleskin and a fountain pen. I was, (laughs) it took me totally by surprise. It was Easter Sunday, 2015, end of a a long day of of mass and brunches and visits with family. And the idea just came to me. I was actually having a shower and I was just inspired. I mean, I, I, so I jump out of the shower, you know, suds in my hair, throw in a bathrobe and, uh, and run across the house to the computer, start typing away everything I can can think of about this book idea. And, you know, I know that it had to have been given to me by the Holy Spirit because it was all there. How I Stayed Catholic at Harvard, 40 Tips for Faithful College Students, Ignatius Press, Peter Craft would write the intro, and then 38 of the 40 chapters were outlined right on the spot there. Wow! So the book was written by Pentecost, so 50 days later, and I happened to meet Mark Brumley a couple months later. Almost by happenstance, he's the president of Ignatius Press. So yes, yes, You're I mean th- things just came together nearly miraculously.
0: I would venture to say that. I mean, if you have this inspiration, like you said on Easter Sunday, which which you know, I mean, maybe that's just coincidence, right? Maybe it's like, oh, I thought of something holy and for God on Easter. Like, <laughs> hopefully, that you are thinking about something holy and of God on Easter. However, like you said, how this kind of happened, I love the story. I love the fact that you're literally jumping out of the shower and you've got suds in your hair as you've told the story on different interviews in the past. And I just think, I can just imagine you like sitting down with like wiping soap out of your eyes, being like, I've got to get this out. I've got to get this
1: out. Yeah, that's right. I very rarely felt that kind of clarity and energy for a project. It was, it's been so clear to me just in the book's reception and in doing interviews and everything after that this is just, it's not about me. This is something that God wanted to do. And I was just blessed to be along for the ride.
0: Okay. So let's talk about, I mean, I'm going to ask you in a little bit, like what can, you know, college students do to stay Catholic at whatever university they're at? Because although this was in particular, you're thinking about your own personal experience at Harvard, it's not just for Harvard students. This is for any college kid who's trying to keep their faith. And Focus has done great research to show that colleges is like that one area of a person's life. If they're raised Catholic, will most over half lose their faith before their sophomore year in college. Mm-hmm. And so I love the fact that you wrote it for any college kid. But for you, how did you stay Catholic at Harvard?
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's a great Question. Because so I, I've got 40 tips in the book, and and as I say uh, in the introduction, I'm these aren't 40 things that I I did all, all the time or got perfectly right or even do now. These are 40 things that I know work. But I think that the most important anchoring thing for me personally was daily mass. That was where I met my group of friends. That sacramental sustenance was where I got the energy to and the um and the grace to do what I needed to do for the kingdom on campus. So I think like, if I had to pick one thing, that would be it. But it was all of the things surrounding that. A disciplined prayer life, a good group of friends, and even then some of the people that I just happened to meet at Mass, like professors and and things like that, totally changed uh, the trajectory of my college life.
0: So when you wrote this book and you're putting it out there, how, I mean, it's been a year now. And I mean, I, this question bothers me a little bit, although I'm going to ask it, but because it sounds like I'm just trying to get you to say, oh, everybody loves it. But how has the book been received? I mean, I'm sure you've received uh, comments and emails. I mean, what are outside of people hopefully saying that they enjoy it and they like it, but what is the response? What has really helped them in this over this past year?
1: Well, I'll answer a slightly different question, which is what has surprised me about the reception of the book, because I did expect it to help people who were in my position, who were looking to keep their faith in college. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's done that, although I think that's going to be clear over time as I hear from students who you know, used it or found it helpful. The people who really are hungry for the book, though, are the parents, there's so much doubt and there's so much fear on the part of the parents who are sending their kids off to school and, and hoping that they stay Catholic. So that's been some of my most fruitful conversations about the book, and, and some of my best feedback has actually come from them.
0: Mm-hmm. Aurora, why do you think the climate at universities, just across you know across the board, are so difficult for a person to stay faithful? Like, what's happening in our universities, not just Harvard? All over, Mm -hmm. that's creating a place where faith is like something that you just drop off.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a tough question. I think that there are two potential answers here. So, there's, I think the first group are people who are intellectually led away from the faith. They maybe haven't been formed fully, they aren't sure that the, the Catholic faith actually stands up to the secular questions. And so they get in a classroom with their peers or with professors who dismiss their faith as childish or ignorant, and they don't have the resources to answer those questions. So that's one group. Although I actually think that it's less of a head issue and more of a heart issue when you're talking about the culture. Some people are intellectually led away, but a lot of people aren't formed in their character in a sufficient way to say no to some of the things that the culture puts on offer in college. And that's uh, the shorthand is the party culture, right? <laughs> you get to school and there are all kinds of opportunities to do all kinds of things that maybe you couldn't do in high school when your parents were around. And for some people it's just too much to bear to to have this option in front of them and still to be keeping their faith. Hmm. Yeah. So I think that's truly really what's going on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know I really enjoy I think those comments really go back to something I was reading recently from Brandon Vaught. In some of his books, one of his books called Return, which people who listen to my podcast know, I'm, I'm a big fan of that book. And, you know, he talks a little bit about what you're talking about, this lack of intellectual formation and also that lack of character formation, which is, I mean, both are so important, right? <laughs> right? And so it's, it's those things when we're, we're, for, we're forgetting to teach our children, teach our kids uh, who they are and whose they are and why they've been made and how to balance all of that within this book that you talk about and the forty the 40 steps that you give of how you stayed Catholic at Harvard and how other people can can too. What and I know you just you just recently wrote something for the National Catholic Register. And I'll include all of this in the show notes. So don't worry, I'll include all the links for people to go back and you can reach out to Aurora and you can read some of the things that she's been writing at National or National Catholic Register, excuse me. But your one of your recent articles is called "How to Keep Your Kids Catholic in College." And since we're talking about parents right now, and some of the response that you've received from the book has been surprisingly really from parents really appreciating you know something to help them kind of reach out to their kids and or what they can do before their kids get to college to make sure they're maybe not one of those who end up losing their faith. But in your article here that you wrote, very simple, very concise. Can you go over a little bit of that? I think that was I think it was really really great what you wrote here, especially the first two points in what you write for this article?
1: No problem. So I think that, so I, I made three main points about for what parents can do for, for their kids if they want them to stay Catholic in school. And it's just three simple observations of things that my parents did for me that I, that in retrospect are important. The, the first was that my dad gave me formation himself. He taught me out of the Baltimore Catechism and which is kind of the old time, really (laughs) traditional, intense catechism, which, you know, you don't have to do, but parents being involved in the religious formation of their children is a really beautiful and helpful thing. The second is that my parents always had a stable and loving marriage. Now, I understand that not everybody can, you know, has that blessing. There are all kinds of reasons why that might not be the case. So I'm not saying it's a It's a necessary thing, but I can say in my own experience, it was such a blessing to know that at the end of the day, my parents were a team. Right. And then the third point I made was that we went to mass every Sunday, no matter what. It was just a part of our routine. We We were busy, we were traveling. I was a horseback rider, so we were at horse shows and it didn't matter what else was going on. We moved everything else around mass. And so when I got older, I did the same thing. It didn't matter what else was going on. I was going to go to Mass because that's who I was.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I definitely attest to that. Now, my family did the same thing. I'm very, very blessed. My dad and my mom didn't teach out of the Baltimore Catechism as you have. Although I love in that piece when you mentioned that, that, that your dad catechized you from the Baltimore Catechism. I love this line. My husband and I are teaching our kids this as well. It's very simple. Anybody can do it. But it's God made me to know him, to love him and to serve him in this world and to be happy with him forever in the next. I mean, just getting our kids at a young age to memorize that and to know that is really important. I think (laughs) when you figure out like it answers so many of the questions of who I am, why I'm here and what am I supposed to do?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and to me as a child, I had no idea what that meant. But then when I got to college and people are having all these existential crises and things, I had memorized the answer to that question as a child. It was already in me, you know? Right.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that. My family, my parents did the same thing in terms of, I'm very lucky my parents are still married and they've kept up a very loving home for us to experience Christ on a daily basis. We talk about Jesus More than the weather, in a sense. You know, it was just a very natural conversation in my home. I'd imagine it's the same for years. And I remember too when you had mentioned that, like, your parents, like, when you just said that your parents always took you to mass, I remember that's, I mean, that was definitely my whole life. In fact, I remember going to college and my dad, and I'd already started to slip away emotionally within my heart, even though I was going. And But my dad, though, took me to college. And the first thing they did is, okay, let's find the Catholic Church. Where's the Catholic Church you're going to go to? And it was as important, if not more, than finding the Catholic Church, than finding out how I was going to get to my first class, my second period, and all those other things. Uh, And so I think it's, yeah, I think when you start creating that habit, when you're younger, it does matter. And, you know, you and I have very different paths in terms of our faith, although we're coming, you know, we, we had the same end goal and have ended up at the same spot. But for me, I left my faith. I was one of those kids who definitely left in college because that was just the opportunity to leave, the chance for me to leave. Because I, for me, I did not think I belonged anymore because of my past, which is a whole different topic and issue however but i came back and and i think one of the reasons i came back is because of actually the three points that you made in your article of how parents can help their kids because my parents you know they did try to catechize me the best that they could i do re- remember that they also you know went to mass every single sunday you know regardless if i was there or not and they kept up a loving home where christ was the center of their life and that was important for me as somebody who went away from the faith to look back on my family life and i realized my parents are really happy and they have peace and they're calm and all the things in my life, all these crises I was having, definitely did not bring me a sense of balance or peace. And so I went went back to my roots and realized maybe I should give this whole Catholic church thing, this faith thing, another shot. And so for me as a kid who went away from the faith and who left, reading what you've read about what parents can do, I can attest to that. Even though I left, I'm like, Yes, those are actually the reasons why I came back, you know, and so even if it's something where like, it's not a foolproof plan because we obviously have no control over our kids 100% of the time, especially when they become adults. But doing it does matter, especially for kids like me who left during those years, but came back because of those points that you mentioned in your mm-hmm. article.
1: Yeah, I think that's really beautiful. And I think it's so hard. I talk to a lot of parents who tell me that their kids did leave the faith in college and what could they have done. And what I always have to tell them is we... um each of us has to make that decision for Christ for ourselves, you know, that right. we're all given the freedom to walk away from him and that we have to choose him. That's what makes our love real. And so it's it's incredibly difficult that you can't choose it for someone you love, especially your kids. But in the end, if you could, then it wouldn't actually be love. Right. Um, so, you know, each of us has that path and that's okay. And good formation is something that gives you a better opportunity to say yes at any point in your life.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's got to be so hard. I mean, I'm a new parent. My kids are babies. So, you know, I don't have, I'm not dealing with those issues yet that that might come up. But I know that at least from my own background and like what you've been writing to Aurora is that I have to do everything in my power right to love them and to give them truth and to let them like I want them to be happy. And what I know is true. Happiness is Christ alone. And so, you know, those are the things that we can continue to do. And I love the tips that you give for parents in there. It's practical and it's easy and it's doable. These are like daily things that we can do. Now, when it comes to college kids and to those in college. I mean, you obviously wrote a whole book about it. We'll definitely have a link for the book so you can grab this book for yourself, parents, or for yourself, college kids, or anybody else. So you can grab this great book. But what could you help? Like, what could you tell you know college students today to how, how they can keep their faith at that time?
1: Well, so like you said, the, uh, I won't give too much away so that people want to buy the book. <laughs> but I can tell you it's broken down into four different sections. It's broken down into community, Academics, prayer, and then kind of a catch-all called living it out. Mm. And so, and so the idea, actually, I think an effective way of, of thinking about using this book is picking a way to move forward on each of these fronts. Because the thing is, you're not going to be able to maintain your faith if you're standing completely alone, right? You need community. If you're not intellectually growing in your faith, then you're going to have a lot harder time keeping it in college. Prayer is obvious. Prayer is the, the lifeblood. Of a Christian life, mm-hmm. but that's yeah. Anyway, and then and then living it out is if your faith is not bearing fruit, then you have to question whether or not it's authentic. You know, if somebody can't look at your life and say that's a Christian, then you probably need to be doing things differently.
0: Amen. Amen to that. I hate the fact that I can't remember this. I don't know if it was Bishop Barron or not. I recently just heard someone say, "Show me." Your calendar and your checkbook, and I'll tell you what's important to you.
1: Wow! Yeah, I know Bishop Barron just said something in a Homily a couple of weeks ago: live your life as if nothing, as if it was live your life in such a way that doesn't make any sense if God doesn't exist. Wow! It kind of makes sure you stop and think. For, I love that
0: man. I got to get him on this podcast. He's he's just so fantastic. He is so so great. He always gives us so much to think about. But I think. Going back to one of those sections in your book that I'd like to pull out from is the topic of community. And I've heard you say this in different interviews, and I wanted to bring it out a little bit now because I thought it was it was really important. And I'd love to hear, actually, could if you could explain a little bit more of your Aristotelian focus on, on the concept of friendship, you know, like why they matter and who are they? Like, who are the real friends? I know scripture, and in Syriac especially, talks about that, and Christ says as well of what a real friend is, and if they really love you, what they will do. But could you kind of share a little bit more and kind of help us develop that piece of community in terms of friendship?
1: Yes, absolutely. So I think Aristotle's outline of this is the clearest one I've seen. And he talks about friendships of utility, friendships of pleasure, and then true friendships. And these are all real friendships, and they all matter. Friendships of utility are just people who it's useful for you to get along with coworkers, networking opportunities, people that you're cordial to. Then there are friendships of pleasure. These are people who you spend time with because you delight in them. And then there's the third category, which is true friendship. And these are actually very rare. They're what we should be aiming for in our relationships, but they're hard to attain because they're defined by a love of the other person's virtue. And they're, they're defined by willing the good of the other. Mm. so you see something in them that you want to live better yourself that's one mark and a second is that you are willing to do things just because it's good for them regardless of whether or not it's good for you and if i think if you if you pause and reflect on how many of those people you actually have in your life at any given time if you have one or two then you're really blessed you can cultivate them and we certainly should seek to but I think sometimes we go through life not even realizing that we don't have that and that we deserve it. And not only that, that we're, we're called to be that kind of a friend to somebody else. Amen. I
0: completely agree that. I remember reading about this after my conversion, after I came back to the church. And I think it, I was reading something from Aquinas and him talking about these you know, levels of friendship. And, and I remember just sitting there with that book and I just had tears in my eyes. And I realized that I had so many friendships of use and mm. not just use of like, okay, like we mentioned in the beginning, like they're, they don't have to necessarily be, be immoral. They're just, you know, the, you know, the plumber comes in and fixes something in your house and thank you very much and pay for service. And, and that's, that's an appropriate type of level of friendship. But this was more of a very selfish form of use and definitely not moral in my personal life. And I, was so sad to see that I really had no friends. And that was mm. so hard for me to accept because I did not want that because we've been made for this friendship. We've been made for that friendship that desires the good and we desire the good as well for another. I mean, we're, we're, mm-hmm. we're relational human beings, right? And so obviously that first relationship is, that primacy of that first relationship should always be with God. And obviously when, we, when that becomes out of order, everything else kind of starts to fall apart my past life is a terrible and fantastic example of that. So I love that when you talk about this friendship, because for me, that was one of the driving home signs of everything's out of <laughs> Like You sadly have zero friends because you've deemed it so, because that's how you've treated others. And that's the type of treatment you expect from others to get, to be given to you. And so for me, that was one of the ways that helped me actually in my conversion was to look at my friends and to find out how can I be a good friend? And that mm-hmm. was so difficult, you know, for me to start doing that and to start really spending time on that. And I think that's so important, especially for people in college, because you get to a place now where you, where you actually get to pick the people around you. And that might mm-hmm. not have been the choice for you in grade school and in high school, right? Cause you're just kind of thrown into this group of wherever your parents send you to school or wherever you're, wherever you live and you're just thrown in. But college is really that beginning moment where you get to say, I'm going to choose the people around me. I'm going to choose to hang out with a certain group of people, a certain type of person. I'm going to choose to be a certain type of a person. And I think it's, a lot, it's, it's it gives you a lot of freedom, but with that freedom comes it's obviously a lot of responsibility of, of who we are choosing and who we choose to be. Absolutely. Okay. So I love this moment you mentioned a quote from your dad. And so I'd like to mention that. And I would love to hear kind of why your dad said this to you and what it was applying to and kind of how you've seen that manifest itself in your own personal life. But your dad told you something in your life. And he says, if you refuse to forfeit your soul, sometimes you'll gain the whole world.
1: Yes. So this was something that was that he talked about very early in life when we were just children. One of the really beautiful things about the way that my dad gave us formation was that he told us things that were beyond us as kids. Sometimes we couldn't quite understand what he was saying, but he didn't bring it down to us. He said, no, this is the truth, and you're going to have to grow a little bit to get there. I mean, obviously, education involves giving your children things as they can handle them, but he was always asking us to come to that next step. And what it taught me was that the truth is what it is, and you have to conform yourself to it. You can't change it based on where you are. Mm. So it was part of that discussion. One of these truths that he told me was one day you're going to have to choose between Christ and something that you really want, and you're going to have to have made that decision before. So you have to ask yourself if you're tempted to cheat on a test or to compromise on your morals you're going to have to look at that thing and say is that worth trading Christ for do i want this thing more than i want Christ and when you ask it that way and you see it for what it is you can't you can't actually do that right if you're thinking clearly about it and so it was in that context it was i said dad but i'm i'm afraid what's uh what if i do miss out on something i really want right what if i make the wrong decision and he said look you're going to first of all you know i you pray, you work, you work it out, you stay, you stay close and you work at it so that you're, um, you are ready to make the right decision. But second of all, you aren't going to lose everything all the time. So often it's just an illusion. The devil wants you to think, you know, because that, that's who's at play trying to say that you're going to lose everything if you stand up for the truth, right? Right. And that's not always the case. I tell the story in the book of, of interviewing for the Rhodes Scholarship, and that was a major example of that. I was asked about embryonic stem cell research. And I knew that if I said that I, I didn't support it because I, I thought life was sacred since conception, that they were going to think I was crazy. And I had to tell them anyway. But it turned out that because I told them the truth, because I stood up for my beliefs, they knew I had character and they were willing to give me the scholarship.
0: Wow. I love that. I love that story. I think it's so great. I'm so glad you mentioned it because I was hoping you would. I loved it. Hearing about that, about that question that they gave you during your interview for the Rhodes Scholarship, and and the fact that you responded so well, and praise God for your dad. Like, what a great example he is to all of us, of especially parents, of like just continuing to speak truth to our kids, regardless if it's convenient or not. Absolutely, yeah.
1: He's uh, I'm very very blessed.
0: Yes, you are. Yes, you are and he's a blessing to us as well which is great because obviously he's blessed your life and your family's life and will continue to do so but because of where God has called you and the work that he's doing in you we get to we get to have a little blessing of your dad too which i just think is amazing this man who's quietly live the faith and is passing it on to his children and his family and everything is now we get to hear some little golden nuggets from a great dad. And I just, I love how God uses everything and everybody in, in his own timing and in his own way to really help us in our
1: journey. That's beautiful. I hadn't thought about it that way before. It's great. I, I absolutely love it.
0: Aurora, you've been so patient and you've been so good giving us amazing information. I cannot wait for people to get your book, I am definitely, we have it right there in the show notes. Make sure you grab this. What a great, great present it would be for this upcoming Christmas season, especially on Christmas break for your college kids. Oh my gosh, this would be perfect. Put it in their little stocking. There you go. You have it right there for them and they can help themselves look at different ways in those four groupings that Aurora has put together of helping keep their faith and going deeper in their faith during those college years. So Aurora, before we wrap up, we're doing something new here. Oh, to Do Something Beautiful podcast. I have put together five things, five little questions. And these are going to be your Aurora's five things. And I'm gonna ask you five questions that you have that I did not give you beforehand. So you have no idea what is gonna be asked of you here. And I just want your most honest opinion. Answer. All right. Okay, here we go. Aurora's five things, people. Here we go. Number one, you cannot say the Bible. What is your favorite
1: book so far? The Brothers Karamasov by <laughs> Fyodor Dostoevsky.
0: That's great. Okay, perfect. And just so you know, we will absolutely have links to all of Aurora's five things if she mentions a book or something else, so that if you want to have one of your favorite things, it's her five things that you can have the same.
1: Lee, I just want to say really quickly on that one. I once asked Peter Craft what his favorite book was. He told me the best one. And I said, oh, The Brothers K. And he said, oh, yes, of course. Really? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: What, uh, that, that that had to like win your heart over at that moment.
1: It, we're, we're intellectual soulmates.
0: <laughs> that is so great. I, yeah, I mean, he's like the intellectual hero for many, many of us, I'm sure. So, okay. So that is your first five thing here. The second one, here we go. So let's assume... I guess we don't have to assume, we know it's going to happen, but let's just talk about something in the very, very, very far, far distant future. I want to make sure I say that so we don't freak out anybody, especially your parents. In the very, very far distant future, you die and you go to heaven. Okay. And so this is a really good scenario. And so you are walking up to the pearly gates. What do you personally, Aurora, what do you want to hear from Jesus?
1: Well done, good and faithful servant. Love it. Love that. Love it. Love it. Very good. It's a classic. It's scripture. It's good.
0: All right. Number three of your five things, Aurora, what are you not very good at?
1: Oh, man. Doing one thing at a time. (laughs) (laughs) Being mindful. (laughs) Uh, That's yeah. You're in
0: good company. You're in really good company. (laughs) I think like every mother of the planet is shaking their head at you right now. Yes, yes. Me too. (laughs) Me too.
1: (laughs) Me too. I am working on it though, because it's actually it's it sounds like oh you know, but I'm just so busy and so important that I multitask. It's like no, actually, this is a really this this is a problem. You have like you have to be present. So
0: I I completely I'm working on it. I completely agree. My home is the biggest testament to that statement of I'm doing too much or I'm just not able to to finish one thing at a time. I start many things and I'm trying to finish many things all at the same time. Like you said, multitasking. And that's that's a whole different podcast. But that like that's a sign of a sense of disorder in our lives. Like You know, to be able to be present, as you said, and into the one thing that Christ is calling you to do and to finish it. Christ doesn't want us to have this sense of anxiety and or whatever it may bring to you. For me, it does sometimes that of having so many things and feeling like we're so busy. And our culture so often does that, right? It makes us feel feel like if we're busy, if our calendar is overflowing, that means we're important, right? We have a sense of belonging and identity. Absolutely. Things to fight against. Things to fight against. Okay, so number three. Now, now we're on to number four. So on number four, on a scale of one to ten, one being not really at all. Ten, like the utmost. How weird are you?
1: <laughs> I think that depends on who you ask. I'm gonna give myself a six. Okay, why are I'm you? Like, a six? I'm like on I'm I'm on the weirder side.
0: <laughs> okay, so tell me uh, but, what makes you a six? Like what but, is the thing that comes to your mind when you're like, oh yeah, I'm a six? Hmm.
1: So the reason it's not like super super weird is that I think that more or less so far in my life I've done what was expected of me, you know, gone to the right schools, tend to be fairly orderly, tend to be kind of preppy, that sort of thing. But I don't know, I have my idiosyncrasies just like anybody else. Let's see, what's what's a weird thing about me? I watch tons of Netflix, like lots and lots of Netflix because I I have trouble sleeping. So if you talk about a Netflix show, I probably Know it and like can talk to you about the theological implications of it.
0: <laughs> is there one in particular that you really enjoy that you watch I've, over and over, even though you've seen it before?
1: Oh, I totally do that A classic insomniac move. The um, Kimmy Schmidt is my latest obsession. Yes, I don't know if you have you seen oh. that Tina Fey show?
0: Oh yes, oh yes, I have, Aurora. Of course, I have. I am like your sister child to this comment right here.
1: What about
0: and I know everybody who listens to my podcast knows I'm going to ask this right now cuz you know I'm going to ask her. What about the office? What are your thoughts there?
1: You know, it's so funny. I like I guess what I'm supposed to say is like, "Oh, it's really funny," but I find awkward humor really difficult to deal with. Like, I think I can deal with kind of bitter satire a lot better than I can deal with like awkward humor. <laughs> and I'm not sure like I don't know if that's just like I'm kind of a weirdo. I grew up with an autistic brother. So like the, the like outsider humor, like doesn't tend to land with me that well.
0: Okay. Is it something to where it makes you feel awkward? So you're just not finding the humor in the, in the, how, 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 how like you're receiving it?
1: I think it's that like, if the joke is on somebody else, just because they're kind of a misfit, like, I'm like, Oh, that's not funny. Like you shouldn't make fun of them. (laughs) There's like, you know, and obviously these, these are actors like on a show that was like written for them to do this. So it's no harm, no foul. But there's just something in me that that really reacts to that, but I uh, I watch all kinds of other things that are definitely you know sh- sharp-edged humor. I would call Kimmy Schmidt. It's a the woman's been in a bunker for 15 years as part of a cult, so this isn't uh, totally vanilla TV either.
0: Right, right. No, I like it. All right, so we are. I think that that's pretty good. That's a pretty good explanation for for your six. So your last one. Last question of your five things, Aurora, if you could be or do anything except what you've already done and what you're doing now. Okay. So that's off the table. What would that be?
1: Are my parents going to hear this or? Well,
0: (laughs) you don't have to tell them about it.
1: (laughs) Let's see. Gosh, you know, that is just, that's a really tough question for me right now because I do have, I think I have a lot of things that I could do and I'm trying to ask God what he wants for my life. I would love to teach. I'm definitely a born communicator, and I love talking about things that I know (laughs) and learning from other people. So I don't know that that's a vocation or something that I could even do if I wanted to, but I can say that I love it and that in some form or another, I hope God calls me to do that.
0: Okay. And so if teacher happens, I'm going to do like a Part A of our fifth question. So, sure. teacher off the table. What's that thing that you would do?
1: Can I like? Can I take on other gifts that I don't possess? Yes, absolutely.
0: Like, if if you could do anything in the world except for like what you're doing now, and let's just say like it's projected end game. Like, what
1: would that be? If you, if you could be anything, do anything. Oh, cool, man! I'd be a pop star. Okay, what kind? Singer, definitely. But some some dancing. You got to get. Maybe maybe a good mix of instruments as well. Yeah, like at least as many as Justin Timberlake plays plus one.
0: <laughs> okay, very good. Now,
1: what's your genre for for your pop star um, <laughs> alter ego here? Latin pop. So um, my really? first album, my first album would be called Like a Virgil. Okay, so so you're still the nerdy pop star. you're you're the nerdy pop star that is pulling out Virgil in your your first album. Maybe, maybe a maybe a six wasn't. <laughs> maybe, wasn't fair. Maybe, maybe I have to maybe, modify that. Maybe we should boost you to an eight possibly
0: <laughs> if your first album is a Latin pop with the word Virgil in it. So maybe I don't know, maybe that's a good idea. That was excellent. <laughs> See, that's that's the answer we're lo- looking for. Teacher is a safe bet, Aurora. You can't say teacher. I mean, if you could do anything, I think I think we just hit it. Latin pop, pop star. This is, um, this is you heard the way it here to
1: first. go. That's
0: right. We hear it first here on the Do Something Beautiful podcast. Just so you know, Aurora Griffin, if she stops writing and teaching, we know where she's at. Look for her in South America, possibly to look for her um, Latin roots and uh, inspiration.
1: Oh no, we're we're talking like Latin, like the um, like the ancient Roman language. You're oh yeah,
0: talking lat. Okay, see another level of your nerd. You're up to nine now, Aurora. We're 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 moving you up, not to eight. We're gonna put you up to nine. Latin Dang, pop star. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, so, so- I'm so glad you clarified that for me. I'm thinking Latin pop star, like you know, like um, Selena. You know, I mean, something like that. But you're not even talking in that realm.
1: You're talking. Latin, oh, no. Yeah. I'm not, dead I'm not like appropriating other cultures here. I'm uh, yeah, I'm talking about classics, <laughs> ancient, ancient Latin pop star. Yeah. Classic pop star. Oh God, it gets better. It gets better the more we
0: talk. This is even better. OK, perfect. This is that is. Yeah. You're up to like, I think, like an eight, eight point five, may, maybe nine. And I am so proud of you with that. I think that's fantastic. And I think it's wonderful. And it's what makes you you. Aurora, you've been amazing. We need one more thing from you, though, before we leave. We would love to have a challenge. What type of challenge can you give our listeners today?
1: Awesome. So this is something that isn't going to cost you any time, isn't going to do anything harmful in your life, and can do enormous good. It's called the heroic minute. And what this means is for the next week, when your alarm goes off, you set your alarm at the same time every day, when it goes off... You jump out of bed, you don't hit snooze, get out of bed, kiss the floor, and you start your day. It is the heroic minute. The first thing you've done that day is conquer yourself. It's not going to hurt you in any way, but it is a way to say yes to God and to live a more heroic life.
0: Now tell us, why do we kiss the floor, Aurora?
1: Uh, it's, a, it's an act of humility. That's the, um, that's the, the Opus Dei kind of add-on there. I love it. It's, uh, it's I will serve. You know? I serve,
0: I love it. I'm taking notes as we do this right now. This is so good, excellent. I love the challenge. I think that's wonderful. That is uh, definitely hits near and dear to me. I began the heroic minute, I think maybe a couple years ago now, and I was I put most of it on social media, and I was surprised at the response of the fear people had of actually getting up when they said they would get up. Like nobody's making the time for you. Like you, you put the time down of whatever I guess you need in your life. Considering mm-hmm. your daily schedule, but it was also really amazing to see the response from people. So, yeah, if you want to do that too, I would just add: if you're on social media, make sure you use that the hashtag the heroic minute or heroic minute, and uh, you might be surprised of what people will say and how you'll maybe inspire others to be doing the same and to add a little bit of, you know, humility and order to our lives. Aurora, you've been wonderful. I really enjoyed talking to you. You are a blessing to this podcast. Obviously, much more so your blessing to the church and to the world. And thank you for doing what you're doing and for helping us in our relationship with Christ, especially during times when it's very difficult to remain faithful during those college years and for parents to help their kids along that way too. It can't be said enough, but we all need a little bit of help, you know, and I appreciate the help that you're doing to help us in that relationship and in that journey that we're all on.
1: We, it's a real privilege to be on the show. Thank you so much for your witness and uh, for helping me get uh, the word out there as well.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely welcome. Happy to do so. You really are doing something beautiful for the Lord.
1: Not because I said it, because it's obvious that you are because
0: he has deemed it so. So thank you so much for listening to the Do Something Beautiful podcast. You know I love you. You know I'm praying for you. And uh, we will be sure to continue that on. And remember, whatever you do today, make sure you do something beautiful for the Lord. God love you and God bless.